Coming up this week, a special chat with Namibian men's skipper Herat Erasmus just moments after his team's T20 World Cup campaign. From facing Virat Kohli, dismissing Kane Williamson and the whole World Cup journey, there is a lot in this 70-minute chat. Once again, all this is possible thanks to our emerging cricket patrons. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an emerging cricket patron. A huge shout-out to our latest patrons, David Colwilm, Marco and Sean Fisher, thank you so much for joining the EC movement. Up next, Nick joins me in chatting to Herat Erasmus. It is an immense pleasure to welcome our guest on this week's Emerging Cricket Podcast. We've got in front of us a victorious captain at the T20 World Cup, leading one of the nations that set the tournament alight. We knew how good they were already, but it's been great that everyone around the world has been able to see the same. Herat Erasmus, welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. First of all, where are you? Because we're recording this 24 hours since you're tossed with Virat Kohli and you're already halfway home. Just to explain to us what your situation is at the moment. Yeah, we've just landed from the UAE, um, now in a very noisy hotel, so apologies about that, but it's been good fun the last 24 hours, you know, having to soak in the World Cup experience and everything, and um, yeah, I mean, what a great journey it was, and um, hopefully, you know, we can have more of them, but for now, we've got to take those experiences on board, and you know, become a better team because of it. Given that it's been so soon since you walked off the field uh, playing against India and then finishing your World Cup campaign, what are the general kind of vibes between yourself and the group at the moment, given that, you know, you've completed a pretty much an accomplished campaign at the World Cup, qualifying from the first round into the Super 12s and playing against some of the power brokers of international cricket? Yeah, I think a real feeling of accomplishment, you know, um, the guys are elated that we could experience this whole journey together and probably achieved our goal in getting through a group stage, you know, it has had massive ramifications, not only to continue playing in uh, the Super 12 stage of the tournament, but to qualify for the next World Cup is something that will motivate guys to even lift their level even higher for the next year and, uh, you know, improve on their skills and personally develop for another World Cup in October of 2022. So a real feeling of accomplishment and, you know, um, there's not a lot of cricket around the associate world. So to have that to look forward to is like a, a real pillar of hope and um, a real, you know, awesome feeling to know that there's another big one um, just a year from now. Well, you talk about associate cricket and the, the schedule. You know, this has been a long time in a in a bubble environment and a very long tour. A lot of associate tours, you know, the Tri-Series for the Cricket World Cup League 2 or, you know, that kind of thing are quite short. So what's it been like just being here in, in that, you know, fishbowl kind of experience for so long? And, and how did you keep fresh in that scenario? Oh, yeah, definitely. A, a massive talking point is um, bubble cricket and bubble life. It really is a thing. And Luckily, we had some experience um, having played some bubble cricket throughout this year. But, you know, this one was extra long and, you know, on an extra, on a different level of cricket as well. So, you know, with the pressures of cricket and the daily, you know, life, your itinerary, you have back-to-back games, back-to-back training. It really can get quite hard. And, um, you know, the mental freshness and the mental outside of it is very important. Luckily, we had some good structures in place um, with a 
in a psychologist on tour and we've had um, some real mental health work over the last two years with a clinical psychologist with a group you know weekly so we've really been able to form a good base mentally and with regards to mental health for the team and that put us in good stead for a long bubble like this obviously i don't think we quite knew how long this bubble would be with your realistic expectation of you know the group stage and then super 12 but you know, you just take it day by day. So, you know, this last week uh, sort of got really long for some guys, especially the more extroverted guys really want to get out there and <laughs> go and, uh, you know, meet people. And uh, probably the young guys, I feel the, I feel the worst for the young guys who, whose first do it is to Dubai and they're missing out on all the, you know, the good stuff. So it really can get quite tough. And I must say the energy was, we did have to manage our energy towards the latter end of the tour. It's hard not having families there, guys with mm. kids. It's uh, It gets quite hard. But you have to also, we knew that we were very privileged position to play in a World Cup. And the families were great in supporting us. The cricket number was great in supporting us and setting up, you know, social events and uh, making special gestures to us to keep us fresh and keep us in touch with the people back home. And uh, that, that pulled us through. Well, I think of um, you know when when we were seeing Namibia play in in Vintuk, where you know Craig Williams' kids would be running around the boundary edge and you know <laughs> coming up to hug him after he played you know an innings or whatever. And so I guess it, yeah, it must be tricky not having that kind of family atmosphere in in a uh, what is a pretty tight knit cricket community. Yeah, most definitely. You know, we um, are pretty much a family in cricket Namibia, and you know the families are definitely a part of uh, what the cricketing guys try to do. You know, so it was quite tough, and I can imagine for the guys, the families, um, you know, missing out on special events and stuff. And yeah, they they've had to, you know, put, you know, grit it out for a bit, and the families themselves had to grit it out for a bit. Um, luckily, as I said, the cricket Namibia is absolutely awesome in taking care of the wives and families back home, um, sending them flowers and chocolates and all sorts so yeah that was probably just to you know soften the moaning a bit um no, i'm just kidding anyway is awesome in that respect you guys traveled really well from a fan point of view and they were quite loud too you know between your dad francois we know very well we saw julian bard dancing i think when they were <laughs> when you guys were, were entering into the super 12 stage there's like great meme <laughs> where you guys are i think between yourself and david visa chasing down that target against ireland there's julian bard in one of his like linen shirts just dancing by himself oh my word so good <laughs> hilarious and then like guys like Dion Cotts are dressing up in some of the you know traditional Emirati kit I think I saw as well in in, in that group and Rudy Van Vuren who will give you some uh, knowledge about World Cups in Australia given that he played in a rugby one in 2003 but yeah a lot of the themes in regards to what Namibia cricket brought to the tournament was you know you guys called it the tight ship a, a tight-knit community and and Probably at some point during the discussion, we'll talk about, you know, the last few years and how everything's turned a corner really in in Namibian cricket. But between, you know, some of the very important people, not only on the field, you guys, the 11 playing, but Pierre Debray and Albie Morkel, I'm sure you've got a number of physios, as you mentioned, the, the psychologists and people who work with that as well. How important is it for everyone just to kind of pull in the same direction for you guys to achieve what you have achieved? Oh, absolutely, you know, like we started calling it the tight ship is, is what it is. You know, you've got limited resources. And I actually spoke to Kane Williamson about this after we played them. Um, we sort of tried to liken ourselves to them being a small country as well. Um, and it is what it is and you just get on with it. And I think that's sort of the culture we have in our team as well is a no moaning culture and no, 
no fuss culture, you know, it's just let's get to the job. Let's put our hearts on the line and we get the job done. And this has largely been a culture that's brought in by Peter Brand and Arby Morkel. Yeah, I'll call it spade a spade, but those guys are gone at creating culture. And largely, Coach Pia has driven it and continuously driven it. Over monthly, monthly, he continues to drive it and to improve on it and it's such a tight feeling later that there's just not a feeling of anyone's going to go against it or anyone's going to step um you know out of the bounds of what that pertains to so anyone that comes in like for example our coaching staff you know the, the extra staff there our snc and our physio and our psychologist um so they immediately caught on to that and you know a guy like david Bisu who just came into the squad he immediately sees what's going on around him and it's just such a fun thing to be a part of that you just have to buy in and from a human point of view you want to buy in so really special to have that in cricket namibia itself there's also that real culture of making do with what you got and making the best of what you got so the organization for example under our ceo johan miller and our board members who are previous cricketers and you know businessmen putting their hours in you know the whole ship is as as one ship and it's a tight ship but it shows that you can really achieve many things without um, you know having having a lot so yeah it's it's tough one to explain because you really can only get that feeling once you're part of it once you're part of how it feels like so it's tough to put it across in words unfortunately well what you touched on the kind of new zealand comparison and being a, a small nation you know representing your country in a world cup you, we saw the the president cheering you on on, on twitter and you, you've talked a bit about being uh, quite patriotic in in the past so you know what's it been that experience of representing namibia in uh, one of the biggest uh, world events that namibian sport has seen you know there was a silver medal i think in the olympics this year and now the cricket in the World Cup. So what, what, how have you sort of dealt with being in the spotlight? Yeah, we, we, we were in the spotlight, you know, and rightfully so. Um, we're one of the 14 codes who probably have done the best at, at, at a world stage like this. We got messages from our Olympians sending us videos, sending well done to the team. Uh, and that was pretty special. You know, the guys really try to inspire and inspiring, for example, is one of our four pillars in the culture. And when things like this happen, you sort of tick it off and you say, see, guys, there the culture is, is nailed again. So um, those are special moments. You know, the president mentioning us on Twitter, you know, things like that happening is, is really special. And it gives you motivation to do it again and again and again, you know. So while running a tight ship, you're also just human and you want some recognition <laughs> the way and things like that happening gives you more feel yeah and it's been such a special journey we've had lots of the rugby guys wishing us um well we've had lots of other sports workers just saying how, how inspiring we are to the other sport codes how inspiring we've been to you know the local people of namibia and you, you get videos from you know villages and cricket being quite a white man sport in namibia mm. um just from the historic past and say the uh, the resources and whatever we've had and it being only really in Vintuk, that's what's great for this team is when we can with the brand of cricket we have inspire normal namibians to make cricket their sport of choice because really cricket isn't it's too expensive it's it's too centralized in Vintuk. and you know that kind of inspiring story that we've created with this is what the team and everyone in this team everyone in the group will cherish forever there this is that's the kind of stories you can tell when you're old i guess you can say we were the team that took cricket to the, um, to the country to the people of namibia
Well, just touching on that, I, I guess you've kind of brought it up, the development efforts that Cricket Namibia has been doing. You know, we saw the, the road show going around the country and trying to reach out to the, the majority black population, which I guess from a demographics point of view with, with such a small population to start with, you know, you, you've, you've got to be trying to find talent everywhere you can, right? So uh, what what's going on, I guess, back home in, in terms of you know, trying to expand the playing base for cricket? Yeah, um, so Cricket Namibia, I guess, have always had really good development programs in place. Um, I guess for us as a national team, it's always been a matter of a youngster playing cricket, um, not really having a euro or something to attach cricket to. So they don't watch cricket, for example. They're on cricket grounds up in our very populated northern Namibian side. So if they don't see cricket and they don't see sort of a future in cricket and they don't make that link to cricketing euros and to a brand of sport that we play and they liken themselves to it, then I don't think it has any longevity to in creating cricketers and, and cricketing stars from our community. So that continues to be the, the difficult part is the resources, the amount of venues, training facilities, all of that that we can develop all across the country. But Cricket Namibia have training centers all across the country, but Namibia being so remote, you only really touch so many people still in, in town. So it's a real struggle. The distances between towns are vast. You know, the resources in terms of coaching and so on have been limited. But Cricket Namibia, and especially under Johan Miller recently, have done an awesome job in, you know, getting more people upskilled getting more coaches, getting more teachers, getting more schools to play. And the numbers have grown astronomically in the last two years. And as a national captain, I can only congratulate the organization on doing that. You know, I, I for one, love seeing that because I understand that, um, you know, cricket Namibia, for us to be a, a big cricketing nation and continuously we have to tap into our own resources and our own people and we have to sort of steal from rugby and steal from soccer um, and make cricket the, you know, the sport of choice. And cricket Namibia is doing their level best. Um, but for us as a, as a national team, we need to continue winning. We need to continue bringing that, you know, money, resources into, into cricket to be able to spend it and, you know, create a brand of cricket and a brand of sport that people love and they choose to play so that's all that we can do from our side uh, but the organization themselves have been awesome as well you know getting sponsors um, having uh, development programs lots of games I mean the the numbers of games of age group um, games being played has gone up astronomically I don't have them in front of me but I see guys playing cricket all, all the time in, in Vintuk and I get photos of coaching camps and everything going on in remote areas uh, as a national team we've had the roadshow as you mentioned now so those are the small little things we can do to inspire hopefully only a few kids and hopefully there's a knock-on effect of that everyone choosing cricket choosing cricket a lot of this with all due respect probably wouldn't have been possible without you guys winning world cricket league two at home in namibia in in early 2019 just by virtue of uh, funding and, and everything that goes around with that so you know, we spoke to you, I think, for the first time on the eve of World Cricket League 2 2019 that you guys eventually won. But to go back a year even further back, you guys hosted World Cricket League 2, didn't quite gain ODI status at that point. Was there ever an inkling, you know, between yourself and, and between the group that, you know, things like this might not have been possible, that you ran your race and, and, and it ran its course and, and you guys were to miss out? What were the key events? What was that kind of turning point in your head and everyone's head where it was like, you know what, we've actually got a pretty good group here. We could make a pretty good fist of this. Yeah. So one word again, culture. It all comes down to uh, those two men, you know, Peter Bray and Albie Morkel, creating that for us at that stage. And if you go back to 2018, as you alluded to, 
we didn't quite manage to get through that World Cricket League tournament well. And I, I remember lots of guys, you know, players, workers kind of having the feeling of, oh, now we're just going to have to work now, you know. And this is going to be our lives or our cricketing careers for probably the rest of our cricketing careers, you know, is being a worker player and just on the struggle all the time. So when they came in, in January 2019, they really took it hands on. So they just saw this group of players. They spoke to, say, one senior player uh, in Craig Williams told him he can come back and make a difference. And they were hands-on. You know, they we had training camps and we had formulated a culture within a month. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. And the culture won't be perfect within a month. But as you rightly said, at the tournament itself, you could already see what these two guys had brought in. So those four months of from January till April 2019 were... You know, massive in our development just to lay the foundation of what we're going to be about for the future. How are we going to play this tournament? It was sort of do or die again for Namibian cricket. Uh, it was funding. It was qualifying for a cycle of cricket in Namibia. And it was a massive four months. You know, we I remember going as a team to a farm, um, having a, you know, an away trip team builder kind of thing. And, you know, there were, were emotional moments on that trip. They were raw moments where we really had to dig deep as individuals to you know make ourselves vulnerable and you know really settle into what we're going to be what we're going to stand for as a culture and you know that those two men in Albi and Pierre really did that for us and everyone got on board very quickly and it showed on the field so to sum up my answer it's, uh, it was an off-field thing for sure. There's a lot of parallels there from when we spoke to, you know, Chad Soper talking about P&G when mm. they had that Barramundi miracle, we've called it a World Cricket League 2, where they came back from the dead, spanked Oman, and then all the other results went that way that day. And basically, Joe Dawes had got them into the dressing room and said, you know, if we don't get through this, you know, we can't bring Chaddy over from, from Sydney. We can't do this. We won't have the funding. You won't get paid. You'll have to do this, etc." And by the same token, you guys have made the most of the opportunity. It's one thing to, you know, win that tournament like you guys did, gain one day international status and all of that. But then to push forward and then you guys had, you know, the start of Cricket World Cup League 2 and the qualifier for the tournament that you've just played in. It's a testament as well to the playing group that you had. And I remember uh, Pierre talked about ringing Craig is one of the first things he did. He said, look, we know how good he can be. We need him to come back. And I think you said something along the lines of, you know, I don't think Craig had ever retired in his head. You know, he always had something <laughs> yeah. a little bit more to give there. And you could tell, you know, he's a, he's a class operator and, and, and a class cricketer. So when you look at the group now, and I think one of the big things about this group was almost everyone in the squad got a game at the World Cup. You know, there were at times where you guys, for lack of a better term, had a luxury of being able to leave players out. You know, I don't think, you know, not too long ago, a Namibian side would be able to leave out Bernhard Skultz for a game and still be a red-hot outfit like it was at the World Cup. Everyone sort of performed admirably. So with the funding and with all of that, you guys have got a really solid group of players. You know, what's the kind of routine for you guys now? You know, most of you are on, you know, either full-time contracts or, or, you know, decent contracts by associate measures. What's the kind of routine now for you guys moving into that new space of being somewhat professional in comparison to a couple of years back when it looked like it was not going to be that way? Yeah, you know, that definitely does help that we can be full-time cricketers now. I mean, the amount of hours you can put into cricket now. And I also say, you know, the mental ability you have to really focus on cricket is more what it's about. And that's the only way you can get to the next levels. 
by operating at that level. So most definitely, I think our skills have developed a long way over the last two years where we would rely mostly on, I'd say, a play or two per tournament to, you know, pull it through for us and chip in everywhere. We now have reliable players all across the board and match winners all across the board. And like you said, we've actually had real good competition in the squad and that'll forever be a coach's and probably a captain's you know, that, that'll be the place you want to get it as a team is to really have competition for spots. Um, we hardly ever have had it in cricket number where there's guys really, really gunning for all the spots. Um, yeah, we've we even added with, you know, Craig, when he just came back, we were on a tour to a man and he knew he was under pressure. He, he said it himself. He joked and he said he was on his way out of the team and then Nicole off to eat and had forgotten his passport somewhere and oh, no. he didn't make the flight. Oh, so Nicole was going to take his number five spot and probably bat and start his career there and say Nicole started scoring there. Craig said he was out. <laughs> Such a funny story, actually. But well, and Williams hit a century against Oman in that. Yeah, and then he hit a century against Oman in that very game. So he said he was so grateful for Nicole for getting his passport because he scored a century and he kept his spot in the team. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. But you know, yeah, it's, it's all good banter, but uh, he, that's the place we've got to where we actually have guys really gunning off the spots and that can only lead to everyone raising their level. And yeah, we'll see over the next year, guys raising their level even more, knowing that the World Cup in Australia is there for the taking. Uh, everyone will want to nail down their spots again and that'll lead to everyone, you know, really having to personally develop. And that's the best way we can get to, you know, the, the levels of an India and a Pakistan, New Zealand and in that World Cup try and really get into those teams perhaps. Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking about the performances from you guys at the tournament. We were sort of thinking that, you know, looking at the way the, the pitchers played in the UAE, you know, the, the games in Australia are probably going to suit your game a bit more in yeah. terms of the ball coming onto the bat nicely and, and just having a bit more bounce there. I'm uh, just thinking, is the lack of experience in these sorts of conditions kind of the main problem that you see? Because I remember uh, looking at some clips, you know, looking back at the 2003 team, and they did struggle a lot. Whereas you guys, you, you know, you can see you have the skills, but just a lot of the time the experience and the temperament was kind of the issue more than the sort of physical side of things. Yeah, I think you, you get better the more you play across the world, I guess, because you get more experience, as you say. So for us to have played lots of cricket in, you know, the likes of Bloemfontein before we came to this tournament, for example, really helped us a lot. They, they had a good seam attack of three or four paces and, um, you know, that just made our batters more comfortable against pace and Perhaps in that first game against Sri Lanka, the quality of the pace and the quality of the attack as a whole was too much for us. But I really don't think anyone was out of place, say, with ball speed. And it showed throughout the tournament as well that our, our batters at the top weren't out of place with regards to, say, ball speed. Um, I think the attacks we played against were pretty decent attacks in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And these guys were, were good bowlers. Um, but as you rightly say, you only really get to that level if you experience it and that's just always what the associate nations are crying out for the more we get to actually see it and taste it the more we know what it's like so the more the quicker you can get better at it and it's a pretty simple equation really well, here's a, a kind of technical question and this is might be just born out of me being a just a tier player but i'm just you know when you're facing extra fast bowling what's the difference between you know a guy charging in and bowling fast and just cranking up the bowling machine because you know presumably if you can get used to the speed of it with the bowling machine why why is it so much of a jump to an actual bowler 
Yeah, well, the, the first obvious one is that you know where the bowling machine's going to shoot it, and you don't know where Lahiri Kumara's going to bowl it. So mm. that's probably the first thing. And then secondly, the skill that comes with it. So just the pure know-how, he knows what he's doing with the ball. You as a batter know that he's probably on the front foot because he has this particular skill that he can bowl at you in a particular over. Mm. And then lastly, obviously, the pressure in, in that there's a consequence in you facing the ball in a match. So those things combined make it quite a steamy battle then, as opposed to you or I getting used to it in a net or in a on a bowling machine. So yeah, but it, it is what it is. Like, like you say, you can get used to it physically at least by cranking up a bowling machine and then get that hand speed going, get get the eyes used to that and you know maybe get it, the adrenaline, the juices flowing a bit. So the physical things you really can replicate uh, with a bowling machine, but the whole package, you must definitely can't and guys will continuously tell you that you must definitely can't replicate facing any of these quality uh, attacks that we faced in this world cup for example you can't replicate it in any means not with a sidearm even in a net so you have to go out and face it in a game and probably also in a game with consequences so yeah it was one of those things where you could actually tell that you guys were adapting as the matches went on because even just thinking about that first game against Sri Lanka and I got to say, it probably took you know us all by surprise that a number of those Sri Lankans and, and Lahiri Kamara being one of them were pushing it through at 145 k's an hour because they didn't really show that in the lead up to the tournament. But to take it all the way to say that match against India yesterday, you guys were facing Jasper Bumrah quite comfortably, even in comparison to the to the start of the tournament. But for you guys playing Sri Lanka first up, was it a great way for you guys to blood yourselves into the tournament, playing probably the the trickiest opponent of the three in the first round knowing what you guys needed to do after that match and then going on and playing the netherlands and ireland after that yeah most definitely so i think that game you know just got us onto the level that we needed to be at you know and it's a good awakening if i can call it like that and we knew after that that if we play half the cricket we played in the sri lanka game that you know, we stand a good chance of winning the other teams and you just have to raise your level to um, compete with the Sri Lankan side, to compete with the Test Nations. So we obviously got a first taste of what that level was like and I think it really actually helped us. Yeah, you're most definitely right in saying that. A couple of back-to-back boundaries of uh, Wanundu Hasaranga, if I remember correctly as well, just, <laughs> you know, making him look a little bit foolish. <laughs> what a couple of uh, decent sort of individual moments is, you know, sort of wedged in the in the tournament. <laughs> Yeah, those moments are fun. Um, I remember facing, he's over and the ball came in from the boundary and it knocked over the stump, but I was well in. And I picked up the stump as one of those zinger bells that lights up. And I gave it to Pereira, the keeper, and I said, hey, this is my first time playing with zinger bells. And he laughed. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it? Just, you know, even just little things like that, I'm sure like things that you guys have to adjust to. And then playing the Netherlands and Ireland, you know, two opponents that I'm sure you know pretty well, particularly the Dutch. What was it like in the context of a World Cup? Because yes, it is the same, you know, you guys playing opponents that I'm sure you've played a number of times over the years. But with that added kind of caveat of this being a World Cup, a few extra cameras, a few extra media, you know, Danny Morrison with a microphone sticking it in your face and, and calling you Jerry. You know, what are those things like those external factors? You know, even when you play a familiar opponent, what's it like kind of adjusting to all of those? Yeah, you know, you you soak up those things, I guess, early on in the tournament and then it sort of becomes normal. But I think you only really realize later on that oh, this is a really special 
place you're, you're on. You're playing at the world stage with all those things you just mentioned and it doesn't come around that often. So you really start enjoying it. And once you start feeling home to those kind of things, that's when it settles in that, geez, this is, this is really a, you know, a cool setting. And uh, I also need to kind of, and you wouldn't have seen it, obviously, being in the throes of battle in the heat of the moment, but I noticed uh, on the on the TV graphics, they were still referring to you as, as Merva, which we know is your, is your actual first name. Are there anyone outside of your parents that still call you that? Because I'm just wondering where, you know, the TV operators got this information from. I didn't. I, did they call me Merva on TV or, or whatever? For the first game or first couple of games, when they have like sort of the profile that comes up, it had you as Merva on the on the graphic. I think everyone referred to you as Gerard, but it just felt a little bit odd just reading that knowing. Yeah, it's a weird one because really my name is Gerard, but the cricketer started calling me Merv about three or four years ago just because we'd had another Gerard and a Gerry in the team. <laughs> so it sort of stuck from there and it's actually only been the cricket guys that call me Merv as a, like a fun name, but then it caught on obviously to maybe a few articles and journalists and whoever and now it's i have to explain to everyone every second tournament what it's about (laughs) yeah we've only just kind of worked out the story now anyway um getting out kane williamson what's that like um yeah i won't talk too much about my bowling (laughs) no i'm I'm kidding yeah i just it's I, i just felt that Perhaps the other spinners were bowling a bit slowly on that track on the day. And I got sort of a right matchup with a bigger boundary at the start of my spell. And then later on in that over that actually got him out. It probably wasn't really a, a good matchup because the small boundary was actually to my right. And I'm bowling off spin to two right-handed. But I just said, I'm going to take on this challenge. And I'll, I'll just bowl, you know, a quick ball into the deck here and there. And uh, yeah, I, I had to stand up for the team in that moment because I didn't really have a bowler to bowl from that end. So, you know, I was more chuffed with myself, if I can call it that, that I had the guts to do that for the team. And that I actually got out of the over quite cheaply. And yeah, what a great bonus to get Kane. I mean, what a wonderful player. I um, got a bit lucky with a full under edge, <laughs> um, but you'll take it every day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of brings me to the next question. And, and it's one that, that Nick's you know been thinking about as well, is that when you do look at the games individually, especially in the Super 12s, there are certainly moments in all of those games where we genuinely thought, you know, you guys were well and truly in the game, you know. Yeah within you know a pretty good grasp of of stealing a victory here or there and i can think of you know those middle overs against new zealand where you guys kept it relatively tight what are the lessons that you learn from that when the better teams of the world a la new zealand and, and india just get away from you a little bit what's that kind of feeling like as a captain and what do you think you've taken out from something like that as a captain i certainly learned a lot um I guess you, you still do your planning before the game and you stick to that. So it's sort of out of my hands and the bowler needs to take accountability for the deliveries he bowls then and the outcomes of it. So, you know, we certainly learned a lot from those death overs. And like you rightly say, we, we were in the battle in, in most of the games. Even, you know, Afghanistan, we pulled back quite nicely and then they got away from us at the end again. So individually, I think players have learned a lot. Death bowlers would have learned a lot and... You know, they got exposed to a high level of cricket and of hitting and of, you know, a stage that was set in front of them. So that can only put them in good set for, say, the next World Cup, um, you know. So we have to bank those experiences, um, most definitely. They weren't always nice now. You know, the few that really got the hit, um, 
doing this tournament. But, you know, if you can bank those experiences, only learn from them, then hopefully it can pay off for you in the future, which is really what the main thing is for me as a captain is that you should continuously you know, evolve and try to develop. I spoke to Ken Williamson, for example, about this. And he said as well, you guys planned well. Unfortunately, didn't execute perhaps on the stage. But, you know, all you can really do is learn from it and progress and progress. And eventually, sometime in the future, you'll, you know, you'll start nailing it. And then, well, then you're at the top of your game. You start beating teams like New Zealand and, uh, you know, the better team. So, yeah, very tough but very, very valuable experiences, those that we went through. Yeah, you're kind of disappointed when it happens because I really felt we were in the battle with many of those games. You know, winning the toss, bowling first, having the teams under pressure, and then they just took the momentum away from us and that sort of continued into some of the batting innings. You know, and it's also obviously a, maybe an area we can look into as team or as cricket Namibia is that, well, we still need specialist areas to be filled up. You know, there's probably still at the top of our order a specialist area that needs to be, you know, properly fulfilled. And there's probably a specialist area in death bowling that we need to fulfill in the team. And that's, you know, that's the awesome thing about this tour and this journey that we on is that now we can see where we're at and we need those sort of skills to be able to beat the better teams. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, death bowling was, was definitely one of the areas where we could see the, the experience and the kind of intuition gap between, you know, your bowlers and, and even, you know, someone like David Visa, you know, there were a couple of times where he'd get hit early in the over and then pull it back because he has just played so many T20 games and he knows how to, uh, you know, he's he's got all the tricks in terms of his, you know, slower balls and cutters and whatnot, and he knows when to deploy them. And, and that's kind of the thing is part of it is having the skills and part of it is knowing when to use you know which skill yeah. and speaking of visa how closely is he working with the bowlers because i'm just thinking about you know a guy like jj smith who bangs it into that kind of just short of a length just a bit awkward uh length and angle for the right handers if he can you know develop some of the the skills that visa has he'll be very dangerous so uh, yeah how how intensely is uh, is visa training you guys up He's been awesome from the start. So once he came into the squad, he's been so willing to help anyone around him. And yeah, absolutely awesome helping with skills, with planning. And I think uh, the best thing we got from Dave at this tournament was, you know, how he operated in the games and for guys to see that and watch him and uh, and listen and feel around him about how do you operate at the highest level and how do you drag an over back? How do you set up a batsman? So he's going to be valuable for us going forward as well. And the guys will only learn from him which is great and yeah i think as you rightly say a guy like jj will catch on from him you know trumpelman actually was the leader of our tech this tour and he's, he's been working closely with david um you know in conversations you know it's just a different level of conversation when it's someone as experienced as dave is there's so many individual standouts and you mentioned trumpelman there who we were seriously impressed by and then thankfully nicole off the eat and remembered his passport this time and and he's really sort of broken out as as a young talent as well and but to bring it back to someone like david visa and that sort of relationship with yourself in the middle order and with jj thinking about you know jj playing a slightly different role to what he did in 2019 in that now that he's coming in either at number six or number seven depending on the situation and, and then after david who you know impressed us immensely with how he played on the international scene for Namibia with the bat at a World Cup but to bring it to JJ I'm sure in a year's time we will see you know a lot of these learnings from the the tournament from him and he showed glimpses of the hashtag Smith can hit that we know and love (laughs) 
But it was a little bit of a different role for him, wasn't it? Because he came in so late in the innings, you know, at times. He didn't really get the chance to face five to ten balls to get himself in at, say, number five, this time playing at six with Visa in the team. And, and we could see why, just the way that the team sort of balanced itself now. So how did he kind of adjust to that role? And how do you think that role for, for JJ kind of evolves either next year or, or sort of down the line in the future? Yeah, I think it remains pretty simple that they are our finishers slash our... They've been called the bomb squad in some, I don't know, hilarious interviews and stuff. As, as you know, reference to South Africa's bomb squad props they have, they, they bring them on and make the difference at the end. So they work really closely together as well, you know, David and JJ and them. And yeah, JJ will probably be a little bit disappointed with his tournament, I'm sure. But we all know he's, he's a quality player. And I, for one, you know, see a great future in JJ where, wherever he's batting. He's, he's got the ability to eat sixes at will. So yeah, I think... You know, as, as disappointed as I was with my tournament, I, I, at the end of the day, I think JJ probably also a bit disappointed, but I back him to really come back and his role remains simple. I think he knows his role pretty well. Uh, it's quite clear that he enjoys playing at that number six role, you know, from say the 12th over also and, you know, giving it a good whack at the end and also being a calm finisher. You know, he finished the Scotland and the Dutch game for us with, you know, calm 20s and that's what he brings you. He's a very calm lad and he's someone that sort of soaks up that pressure quite easily. Like it just comes so naturally to him. So yeah, he did that job for us in two of the games, which we were very proud of. And then yeah, the rest of the tournament probably a bit quiet, but um, you know, there was just a level of cricket. I think that we, all of us need to get used to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he, I don't think he was actually dismissed in the first round with the bat. You know, he came in at the end and did what he had to do, especially in those two victories against the Dutch and the Irish. So yeah, as we always kind of talk about, and we've talked about it today, you know, it's that exposure to the next level of cricket that will really be the most important thing in the development for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and it's just one of those things that we, we keep sort of harping on about, you know, yearning for more international cricket of this nature, especially, you know, with, with World Cups. Now with the World Cup, you know, a year away here and, you know, it'll be great to welcome you guys on our shores. I think you guys will really enjoy playing in these conditions. Is there a little bit of relief knowing that you don't have to go through that dreaded qualifier again? Because we look at Zimbabwe re-entering the pathways now. Nepal looks strong. UAE looks strong. They beat Ireland in a few of those warm-up sort of matches in the lead-up to the tournament. How good is it for you guys just to know that, yep, you've got that World Cup in the bank ready to go next year. You guys can focus on yourselves on Cricket World Cup League 2 if you absolutely need to and working with, you know, your tight-knit group that is so strong collectively. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you rightly say, all teams have become so much better and the way the USA have come up, you know, Nepal and um, Zimbabwe being back in it, I don't really want to be a third qualifier, you know. So this is awesome for us and it's the added incentive we've got from playing real good cricket at the tournament yeah and you know we can now also focus more on what type of tournaments we want to play leading up to the t20 world cup next year and you know that gives cricket and maybe the chance to you know sell a really high quality tri-series for example and you know get extra funding from that so it just makes you operate at a different level uh, instead of going to a dreaded qualifier you can now start almost like a full member nation start operating at that level where you choose what cricket you're playing yeah it's it's quite a nice place to be in actually and to pump those T20I rankings up when you need them the most. Um, want to talk about being around some great leaders at the tournament. We talked, you know, sort of before we, we recorded that a great trivia question down a few generations time and a story that you'll be able to tell your grandkids is that you were the opposition captain when Virat Kohli played his last T20 international as captain. Mm-hmm. You know, playing against some 
quality opposition. You know, Barbara Azam's Pakistan looked red hot as we record this. Kane, as you mentioned, you know, such a great leader and, and a great player. Virat Kohli goes without saying. What are some of the lessons that you, I guess, picked up individually from a number of those leaders and the teams when they came in and, and had a chat to you guys after the matches? Because that's, you know, priceless exposure and, and experience that you guys can take under your belt. Yeah, absolutely. We we made sure that we tap into the other guys and the experience that they have. I, for one, had a chat with each and every captain after the game, you know, just to get some insights into their head. These guys play at the international level year in, year out, and they've got so much experience on that stage and under that type of pressure that you'd be quite stupid not to try and tap into that experience. And also just, I think, as a, as a cricketer and individually for all of my teammates, it's just awesome to rub shoulders with these guys because it gives you that sense that, well, I'm here now. I, I do belong here. And I have, you know, a place alongside these greats and alongside these highest level of cricketers. And I guess as a cricketer, I mean, having that belief is probably the first thing you need to have. You can have a real bad technique, but if you have that belief that you can really play there, then that sort of just sense of belonging that gives you the right to own your space and the right to really go toe to toe with the best and to go and play and go out there and really enjoy and express yourself uh, rather than, you know, standing back a bit. So I think that is. For example, one of the main things that will come out of this World Cup journey for us is that, hey, well, we belong here and next tournament is just going to be better and better and better. So that confidence, I think, is absolutely key that we've ascertained at this World Cup. Well, you, you touched on the um, domestic cricket season that you, you're going to try and get a lot more exposure. And uh, we looked at this year, you know, in the lead up to the World Cup, you played a number of, you know, emerging and various other sorts of teams from around. How much of a relationship is there with, you know, the neighboring countries like Zimbabwe and South Africa in terms of just trying to get more quality cricket? And going from there, how, how do you grow the domestic scene so that you can keep producing the next generation of talent, which will presumably be <laughs> inspired? By, uh, by your performances here? Yeah, you know, domestic cricket at pass is, is quite a struggle. Um, the player pool in, in itself is not very big, so the quality of domestic cricket is really low, if I can be quite frank, and that leads us to having to get quality cricket from our neighbours like so South Africa, Zimbabwe. And from Zimbabwe's side, we've actually quite struggled to get teams over. Luckily, this year, we got the Zimbabwean emerging team to come over. And, you know, our connections with South Africa remain from our years. We've played in their domestic comp and obviously with our coaches, being closely connected to those coaches and them, I think them also enjoying the level and the brand of cricket that we play. Um, they are more than willing to come over, you know, the Titans team that have come over two years in a row now. You know, the two we had to Bloemfontein to play the Knights, you know, that really surfaced from Alan Donald um, having a coaching camp in Buntuk. So I think we are going to have to continue reciprocating those relationships with each other um, to continue to play high-quality cricket because unfortunately the domestic stuff and even our inter-squad matches wouldn't surface at the moment as high enough quality to prepare for the kinds of tournaments that we can expect in the future. Yeah, and, and just on you know, playing in the South African domestic competition, I, I recall talking to a number of players and they said that just that experience was really helpful in you know developing their game. So I'm just is, is there any possibility of something like that happening again or, or even with a sort of Namibia A team or, or a development side? Because I remember you guys, I think you came runner-up in uh, the last tournament you played there. Yeah, so we really started doing well in, in the South African, like the second league. Um I guess uh, I wouldn't say it's closed, but I'm not too sure how that would really work from the organization, from Cricket South Africa's point of view, if they still would want a foreign union playing again in their competition. From a finances point of view, from Cricket and Mavis point of view, 
that was the main struggle and probably the main reason we went out mm. of domestic South African cricket in 2016 or 17, I think. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not too sure how that looks at the moment, if I can say that quite honestly. It was obviously awesome at the time, and that's what many of our players would allude to, is to play consistent cricket, to play long-format cricket, to develop your skill and to really form yourself as a cricketer. That was invaluable. But I guess our you know, ICC tournament, international cricket has also picked up a little bit, and we play ODI series every three months now, so the schedule might get jam-packed. I'm not too sure how that would look as well. But, you know, I, I for one, would love to have that back, even if it's maybe just, say, for the T20 comps or for the for one-day cricket, um, you know, that we play more and more cricket against their sides and continue to build those relationships with them because, uh, you know, it can really be beneficial for those type of sides to come play in Namibia and for us to go play there. You know, the Titans have used it as a preseason tour twice now, which has been really beneficial, I guess, to them. And it's a kind of a, how can I say, a fun tour. It's, it's a good preseason vibe to create. So hopefully in the future, more and more of the franchise side can come our way. Now, I think we've gone long enough. And it, it's a question that you were asked ad nauseum th- throughout the tournament as soon as you know anyone caught wind of it. <laughs> the finger. Well, I've seen photos of it. It absolutely ballooned out like you're one of the Michelin men. <laughs> um, what's the prognosis? How... Okay, we, we need to probably go back a little bit further. How did it happen? How did it impact you? And what's the future for it? Yeah, so what happened was I waited for just the two years to play in the World Cup and then seven overs before the World Cup in the warm-up match, I got a ball on the finger. <laughs> uh, yeah, a freak-ish kind of cricketing accident. You know, the ball was just thrown on the wrong side of the stumps, no backup, tripped over the stump. So I guess it was just unbalanced at the time and got the ball straight on the finger and immediately went off knew that oh, it doesn't look good. Initially, we thought, okay, no, maybe just don't do the scans because then you can have the bad news and then you can play the World Cup, but that probably never really was an option. So did the scan, got the news from this and specialist that, yeah, it's pretty smashed and I have to come back and try and fix it as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, it's a tough decision to make in, you know, those 48 hours of whether or not I'm going to fly home and get the operation or whether I'm going to take the pain slash painkillers and you know play through the World Cup and uh, yeah it was really a tough decision to make because either on the one hand you really want to respect your body but I think at the other on the other hand there was really you know grace in the situation that we are on an amazing journey and as a captain of the team I need to inspire everyone and I think inspire the country in leading us at the World Cup and Individually for myself, I also wanted to participate in a World Cup. So I had to weigh those things up. So I guess at the end of the day, it really did pay off after, you know, an awesome World Cup and an awesome journey. So there's real grace for me in the situation that I pushed my body to the limits and probably past the limits, I guess. But yeah, I had to go past the limits to be able to tell this great story and to be able to hopefully inspire my team and inspire a cricketing community to, yeah, whatever we've achieved hopefully has inspired them. So it's paid off, if I can call it like that. What's next for it? What do you do from here? So... As I'm sitting now, I'm flying back home from Joburg to Ventuk tomorrow morning. And then I'll see the end specialist. And I've got myself booked for the surgery on Friday. So, yeah, I'll probably get the surgery on Friday. He'll just confirm with me tomorrow and try and get the finger in a better place. Because it's not in a very good place at the moment. <laughs> so, in terms of painkillers and, and injections and stuff, what did you kind of have to do on a game-by-game basis for that? So, I couldn't train because... 
you also want to limit the amount of times you put the fingers through that trauma and the amount of time you use it basically so i only really trained twice so once before the first game against sri lanka the very first game because i wanted to get a feel of how i'm gonna hold the bat um where does my power come from how would i have to change my technique uh what the glove feels like um you know just get a sort of solid base that okay i will be able to play at a decent enough level on the field to be able to still take my team's interest forward and yeah that's that's kind of also very much part of the decision making is you don't want to be in the way of the team's performance so i had to be sure before that first game that i can still operate at 80 or 90% and take the team's interest forward while i'm on the field and you know as a package hopefully captain the team bowl a few overs still catch the ball when it comes my way and yeah so it's to get back to the injections i i took an injection before that first training and then every match really so it it depended on if i wanted to bat before the game in the nets then i'd take it an hour hour and a half before the game if i didn't bat before the game then i'd take it just the 20 minutes before the start of play and yeah it was actually quite comical cuz you'd see me running all over Abu Dhabi stadium running from the one end of the changing room running to the other end where the medical center is <laughs> and then having a to toss and then having to put on my kit and then going this way to clean my hand and then I, w- I was shambles so it wasn't really a great experience and personally it was quite frustrating you know i i still remember the last game before india i went into the doctor's room and he was taking so long to get going i was like dude i'm playing india you need to hurry up <laughs> what's happening and this doctor just couldn't get the syringes ready and everything and eventually when he got ready he had this disinfectant thing that they put on before they inject you into the hand or into the finger and he just stained my whole hand red with this oh that's what that was yeah and then i was like now i have to sing the anthem with a blood red hand on my left chest what's this about <laughs> yeah cuz you can't put your left hand on your left chest it just doesn't look right does it <laughs> no and my left hand was on jj's shoulder right next to me so i sort of made the best fist i could and i tried to tuck it away but i'm i'm sure yeah the billion indians that watch all uh sort <laughs> no they'll love that courage and hopefully you know when that mega auction rolls around and the, and the two new teams that will be looked favorably by a, a number of those teams and that's definitely something to think about you know, this is a good opportunity for you guys to put yourself in the window for, for some more T20 opportunities as well. And I, I definitely think from the performances that we saw at the World Cup from you guys, there there should be a, a few more people knocking on doors, so to speak. But, geez, that's amazing. Were you thinking to yourself, if you're being interviewed second between the two captains after a toss and you just, you're talking to Bish or you're talking to Danny Morrison and all you can think about is, can you hurry up? Like I've got to put injections in my finger before I play a world cup. Like, <laughs> Is that in the back of your head while you're, you're fulfilling all of those duties? Yeah, it was. This was a special kind of tournament like that for me. And it's all part of the story I, I have and the journey of my personal tournament. It was funny at times. It was stressful at times, you know, but I'll be able to tell that story for the rest of my life. And I've banked it. It's now an experience that no one can take away from me. Yeah, and it, it was it was a good ride. I have many people, obviously, also to thank that, you know, um, supported me in making that decision. Obviously, coaches supporting me, backing that I'd still be able to perform with uh, a bit of a, a cripple and you know the the medical staff obviously helping me you know the the fissure of south african team um greg governor actually was awesome in providing me with silicone strip uh, 
that I needed to field with. And, you know, he built the glove casings, the protective part of the, you know, the last two fingers on two of my bottom hand gloves. So he built that for me and he was just absolutely amazing and how he helped me. Uh, yeah, I've, I've sent him countless messages, but I mean, I still feel I need to provide him with a good bri in Namibia to really <laughs> thank him properly for what he's done for me. So there's many people that helped me along this to get through it because, you know, mentally it was also quite an emotional time. You know, you, you can imagine waiting for such an opportunity and coming from the sort of background that we do in associate cricket and, you know, this years that you put in the sacrifices you make and then to break your fingers the last seven overs of warm-up games. It was really an emotional two or three days there and I really needed the support around me to be able to make that decision and to be able to know that I'm doing the right thing and 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 so yeah it was quite a journey <laughs> and then maybe with that in mind i'm just thinking to that chase especially against ireland where you guys got home to secure that super 12 spot and you basically just falling to your knees when you guys chase down that total like the netherlands game as well and then having you know that injury over the course of the tournament just kind of put into words that feeling when everything kind of worked out for you guys in the end and and you got through because that's a moment that I think we'll kind of take as an iconic one, you know, you guys in celebration there. But for you guys, it's one of immense pride and, and one that you're not going to forget anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. You know, for me personally, just being on the field while the moment happened when David hit the ball of a cover, it was really, you know, satisfying and you know, rewarding in the sense that I'd known what type of sacrifice that I had made. Not only the finger at the tournament, but, you know, all the other sacrifices you've made for and, you know, Earlier in the podcast, we spoke about really those 2018 disappointments, you know, the 2019 turnaround of all of that. And then, you know, many ups and downs along the way. We spoke fondly of our culture, but it's not always just blooming. You've got real challenges to sort out along the way. In a social world, you've got, I guess, many more challenges that go with that. So for us to then experience that moment, and for me personally to experience that moment was really, you know, it was an ecstatic moment. I sort of didn't even know what to do uh craig sort of tackled me if i remember correctly and my sausage finger was just like bouncing around there in the middle of everyone trying to hug me and i was just like we're gonna play india we're gonna play india <laughs> <laughs> and uh all the mortals told me why do you care about playing india enjoy it you've just qualified boy <laughs> so yeah really cool moments and yeah we'll we'll remember those forever oh. It's incredible. I mean, you just as we're recording this, you know, hours away from getting back home and, and, and getting a chance to kind of unpack it all and, and, and just to decompress it. And, you know, to look at it from our lens, this is kind of irrefutable proof that, you know, if if the plans are put in place, you've got the right people, you have the right backing and the development and the preparation is good and you get this situation where you, you win you beat a full member in Ireland, you beat the Netherlands, you know, you push everyone else in that group and you guys can sit back and, you know, have a bry on a Sunday afternoon, which sounds really good, by the way, and, and can attest to the one at, at Wanderers that they put up for us <laughs> in 2019. But how good is it just, you know, for you to just get home, sit on your couch and just remember, you know, all of the good things that have happened? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to get back to Vintuk now and share it with people that were on that, well, this two-year journey, but for the individuals themselves, the people that were on a lifelong journey, knowing what the players sacrificed to play cricket, to go and enjoy it now with those people and to sort of just give back to them. And in that sense is, I guess, what's going to be the next reward for our team members over the next week or so. You know, a guy like Craig going back to his family is going to be immensely rewarding for him and his family and his wife and whoever who have really stuck through quite tough times because, you know, playing on a pressure cricketer, I can just imagine everyone feels it back home. You know, my parents, for example, live himself into it. My mom can't bear to watch a ball of cricket because <laughs> she just lives herself so yeah. into this into this world of ours, our little cricket world. So to go to back to those people and now to share those experiences with them is going to be rewarding for us over this short period of time coming up. You know, we didn't have any family members in the bubble with us. We didn't have, you know, those things are actually quite tough, to be honest, because you only really share the memories and the experiences with yourself in your own little room. Everyone's in a single room. And then probably with the team, you know, on the field and in the team room and whatever. But it really stops there. You know, you, you have your own life apart from cricket. You have your own, you know, individuality sort of apart from cricket. And in that, you have your relationships and the people who have come a long way with you that you really want to share stuff with. And and this journey was special in the sense that we couldn't. And now we have to, you know, sort of post the tournament. And hopefully it's evenly special and hopefully those people know what they've done for us. Um, and hopefully we can still give back and, uh, you know, bring the experience back to Namibia uh, in a fresh way to them and really thank them properly, which I'm sure everyone will do. I do remember seeing Francois watching the games, you know, in the stands, staring Ooh. through his hands. <laughs> <laughs> you can barely watch. <laughs> I was about to say exactly the same thing. He looked like the most nervous father Ooh. in the world. I've seen a lot of, you know, nervy dads growing up, moving up the age groups. And I, I remember, you know, going to sort of Sunday rep games and watching my dad doing <laughs> paces around the oval with a coffee in his hand. And he had a ritual of, you know, I'm not making myself a coffee until Daniel gets to 10. <laughs> What's Francois like as a, as a watcher, like looking on? Because we know that he's been on the ride with you for a lifetime, but he's also been involved in Namibian cricket for, well, he was there at the 2003 World Cup working with Namibia there as team manager helping them out. So what's he like, you know, not only as, as your dad, as a nervy dad watching on, but also someone who's played a big part in, in the way that Namibia cricket operates? Uh, he, yeah, he's he, absolutely right. He's very nervous. But, you know, that just stems from because he wants the best for us. He's also put in a lot of work and, you know, it's sort of thankless work for Cricket Namibia over the years. And, you know, it comes from the bottom of his heart. So he, he really just wants the best for Cricket Namibia. And, you know, that's why he's probably such a nervous onlooker because he just, he has lived and continues to live himself so deeply into Cricket Namibia, into a small organization, but one with a very large heart that, yeah, I can only, you know, bear to think what he goes through throughout the game of cricket. He just wants the best result for the guys and for the organization out there that he's all artists on the line doing those 50 <laughs> overs of cricket. So he's one of those type of role players that this is very rewarding to and that this team can give back to. And yeah, we'll be thanking those top role players for what they've done throughout these years and 
we hopefully get more success to guys like my dad and you know the board members and guys who do that just free out of their heart type of work just for cricket and for cricketers in the country and for people whose lives they can change so there are more people out there than just my dad who has been on this long journey and who has put in a lot of their own hours you know a guy like Relief and Fieden and the rest of the board members who I won't mention now and a guy like Pauline Ngongu he's a board member and he was our manager on tour here you know these guys put back into club cricket in Namibia into in Vintuk they continuously sacrifice their own time and money and you know the, the journey is really also for people like them well it, it almost feels like it's sort of coming full circle you know I, I think back to you were telling a story of how you were following the 2003 team, you watching watching on TV with the with your scorebook on your lap, and now you're you're the one playing on TV, and 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 you know and your, and your family are the ones yeah. you know, able to watch you, and so it's it's sort of yeah, it's come all the way back around. <laughs> yeah, I know definitely. Uh, my cricketing memories are all born from my dad. You know, it's from 2003 World Cup all these years. He he's always there. He's still there today, and. I wouldn't have cricket any other way than having him there. Uh, I know he loves it and I love having him there and it's a good relationship. He doesn't put much pressure on me <laughs> in the dad-son kind of sense. So that's awesome. He just wants the best for the team. Uh, for cricket in Namibia, has a, definitely has a realistic view of cricket in Namibia and it's not really a personal thing when it comes to cricket for, for just for him or for just a family or whatever. So he's really done it superbly well over the years to one be a dad for me but to you know serve his purpose as a cricket man i still remember the first time we met your dad actually it was in the the wanderers grandstand there and shook my hand and he was like oh you're one of the the emerging cricket guys i said yes and he's like being reading and, and listening to your stuff and all i could think in the back of my head and nick you might have been there i can't remember i was like i hope i haven't hung any shit on them <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember just sitting there just doing sort of blog updates of the game just thinking Far out. What have I said? In the movie administration is horrible. Led by Francois Rasmus. <laughs> Incompetent board. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, you guys have been sort of on the on the straight and narrow. It's pretty easy to write positively when when people do positive things. I think. Yeah, so yeah. We've uh, we've been around what just over three years now as you know emerging cricket and obviously following associate cricket for a long time before that. Actually, kind of thinking about it, 2003. Namibia was definitely one of the like formative. Yeah, one of those teams in my head where I'm like, you know, this is this is cool. It's like open open my eyes to the yeah. lots of other teams played cricket and like there's a whole world out there. Yeah. Not yeah, just not being keen on watching you know India Sri Lanka three match series over and over again. But who knows what happens 18 years from now? You know, if you're still you know rolling about, you'll only be 45 or whatever. You could probably play a few more World Cups. <laughs> I'll see about that. It looks like my body's not really keen on that, just breaking out down everywhere. Just just a couple of dodgy fingers. A couple of more injections and I'm there, 45. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we ask him the all-important question, Nicholas? The question. The question. So we'll probably give you a little bit of time to think about this. But Gerard Rasmus, Namibian captain, World Cup hero, Kane Williamson wicket-taker... If you could change any law in cricket, what would it be and why? <laughs> uh, you know what came straight into my head now? It was the guy who got me out last night, Ravi Chandran Ashwin. <laughs> the man. Uh-huh. <laughs> of course. Uh, um, I have to think about that. 
Also, just quietly, before you do, and this hopefully will give you a little bit of time, how does Rishabh Pant catch that ball? Like, there was a proper deflection. Like, that wasn't a thin edge. Like, that's. Mate, and he was so chilled about it. I was like, gee, worse. There was a clear deflection off the edge of the bat. And, like, he caught it so cleanly as well. No, these guys are good. They, they're really good. I, no, they, they, that's the thing about that level is these guys play at it so often that it you know it becomes normal to them and yeah they are high quality cricketers and we've tasted that now we've seen what it's like and hopefully we can get there you know actually you know what zane green really impressed me i i mean he's he's been a good keeper for a while but yeah he just moves really nicely behind the stumps and he took a couple of really good catches as well zane green yeah yeah like that diving one yeah yeah he's way back him starting his career was really more of a batsman than the keeper he he had to constantly develop as a keeper and while well, now he's doing some special stuff so he's been brilliant for us as a keeper over the last two years already um, it's a shame that he couldn't quite transform his let me say domestic form and the way he just smacks it in the net into some international performances you know he got a 90 against the Knights franchise team in Bloemfontein and who's whacking balls everywhere I was hyping him up saying you know, he's scored all these runs at 150 strike rate back in Namibia and uh, yeah and you know he plays reverse <laughs> sweeps and he's a gym junkie so he's really strong and he bips the ball it's a shame and he'll be disappointed himself but I saw back into in the future somewhere you know come off properly for us honestly and looking looking at the entire Namibian campaign and I think that everyone at times has stood up during that campaign yeah. you know Michael Van Lingen with the bat yeah. showed great talent at the top yeah. as a new option. Stephen Bard hitting, you know, a couple of incredible sixes that I'll watch quite a few more times over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, ben Shikongo looked sharp as well when he bowled, when he, when he got the chance. Carl Birkenstock didn't look like he, he was a shrinking violet when he was throwing the ball in that game that he played. Jan Freilink was excellent. But there were just so many overwhelming positives. Like, how heartening was that? Just everyone kind of having their, you know, one or two moments or a whole tournament, you know, in the case of a, of a few guys as well, just knowing that, well, it proves that we're all capable of doing it. Again, it's just a case of, you know, getting more of a go. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings us back to the point of competition in the squad for places. And a guy like Cole Birkenstock, he's unfortunately been one of those guys that hasn't quite nailed down a role or a spot in the T20 side, but he's consistently been performing for us in pressure. You know, like he's that emergency man for us. And, you know, it's it's quite tough as a captain and for the coaches and our, you know, leadership in selection and in defining guys' roles to really always stay um, consistent. You want to stay consistent and really give guys as much opportunity in the roles that they deserve. If someone's doing better than someone else, then obviously they're nailing down their spot, so they better stay. But, you know, there's always time for development and there's always time for bringing someone into a new role and you know Carl Birkenstock is continuously developing as, as a cricketer he, one year he's a batting all around and the next moment he's bowling and taking wickets all around so for me it's heartening as a captain to see everyone performing on the uh, in the World Cup and everyone getting a chance you know we mentioning Michael van Lingen showing some class at the top and that's really great that has come out of this out of this World Cup we need to continuously broaden our player pool and broaden our skill set as the national team and um yeah like you rightly say everyone you know got a a bit of the pie and they they ran with it which is which is really cool to see you know the one game Nicole off to eat and the one game Stephen Bart showed some form you know Craig was actually in great form in all of our warm-up games he only managed to get the 140 in the actual tournament but he himself has established himself again as our number three batter for the T20 stuff so 
everyone got a bit of a go somewhere and got a bit of a, a, a bit out of the World Cup, which is just what was brilliant. Before we do quickly get to your law change, everyone available for this time next year? Yeah, I'm not aware of any retirements. Craig won't retire. I think we'll have to chase him away sometime, but um, <laughs> not aware of any retirements, no. No, that's good. And then in terms of David Visa committing with, with Cricket World Cup League 2 as well? Um, yeah, I, I'm not too sure what his future plans are going forward now. So he's available. When he's available, then Cricket Namibia and David, um, obviously, they'll agree to what the terms are. And he's going to continuously play for Namibia over the next couple of years. He's very committed and always trying to avail himself for Cricket Namibia. And he's made those intentions clear to us. And he's been an awesome man for the team. So we don't doubt that at all. Hopefully, we'll play after Cricket First. Okay, law change. What is it and why? I can do two because they're two minor and pretty stupid ones. One would always be time in cricket. So I don't get why it has to take that long. Like, bowl the ball, get back, bowl the ball. And between overs, get on with it. So overrate. Yes, enforce overrates. A, a law change like the 100 brought in with some sort of benchmark minute where you have to be at. Especially also in test cricket. So that's one, it's time. And then my other one would just be to... Get the hell away from all those reviews on the boundary. Like, if the ball's in play, the ball's in play, man. And just throw it back. Because there's always this this thing about whether the boundary fielder was in touch. And then there's always this thing about the catch. And, yeah, man, just if the ball's caught and it's inside, or if the ball's stopped inside, then get on with it. It doesn't matter if they're touching the rope at the same time. It's like if the ball just doesn't cross the boundary, then it's fair game. Oh, almost like football, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably have to define my catching one still a little bit, eh? So I'll, I'll work on that. But, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be listening. <laughs> but, you know, my rule changes always would be to make the game more efficient. You know, you don't want to lose the longer versions. You don't want to lose history. You don't want to lose uh, one internationals. And as we've seen with viewership and whatever, whatever, you know, TV rights, that kind of thing coming, um, a more efficient game is just going to be better for cricket. But also, too, and you're just talking about Test Cricket, can we get the Intercontinental Cup back? Imagine. That would be cool. Can we get Herod Erasmus in a floppy hat batting? Oh, yes. And that'll suit me. I enjoy just batting, so I definitely want that back. So, groundsman wonders to make it flat and bet for three days. <laughs> Herod Erasmus, thank you so much for joining the EC pod straight after the World Cup. Fantastic work once again. One of the highlights for us in associate cricket over the last sort of however long we followed it it's been amazing to follow completely reaped the rewards that you guys had sowed with everything that you guys did off the field on the field and and everything from the outside looks like it's so well put together so congratulations on all of that good luck with everything in the near future all the cricket that you'll be playing and hopefully um, we'll be seeing you in a bubbleless Australia this time next year. And, you know, with a bit of luck, we might be able to put on a barbecue that matches some of your brides. <laughs> give Julian the tongs. He'll know what to do with them. Yeah, we'll give Julian Bar the tongs and just make sure he does it on our behalf. I'll bring some of the steaks along if I get post custom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, do you get freebies from Castle from all those ads that you've done? And will we see more Castle Light ads? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll go ask the media people if we can do because we really enjoyed it and it's fun. And I think the people out there also enjoyed the ads like you guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, we do get some previews. Obviously, as a sponsor, we get them after the games. And, you know, our sponsors have been great all around. So we really had to thank them as well with these World Cup performances. And then, yeah, obviously to you guys, you know, all of the cricketing family and the, the media, everyone, the stakeholders in a cricketing 
country slash journey like this. So we have to thank guys like you guys writing about associate cricket. And it's always fun to talk to you guys, fun and real. And uh, that's how it should be. So thanks so much for hosting me, guys. A huge thank you again to Hera Erasmus for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Make sure to follow all the news in the Emerging Game at EmergingCricket.com with a bunch of different qualifiers on at the moment around the world for a number of tournaments and the Women's World Cup qualifier coming up in Zimbabwe next week as well. From Nick, myself, Daniel Beswick and all of us here at Emerging Cricket, enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world. Yeah, time. Whoa.